Welcome to Lifting Leaders Podcast, where we are unleashing leader possibilities to make a better world. I'm Crystal Roberts, and together with Trisha Ryan, we're diving deeper into some of the complexities of the world's most critical challenges and exploring innovative ways of navigating through them. Through interviews with experts and leaders just like you, we're exploring what it takes to thrive as a leader today and examining new ways of thinking about how to creatively lead into a more equitable, socially responsible, and sustainable future. And the future starts now. Today we're talking with Elizabeth Levitt, retired senior director of environment, engineering, and sustainability at the Port of Seattle and the current principal at Jacobs about the evolution of the environment and sustainability industry, the challenges, and where she has the most hope about how this industry can lead the way to saving the planet. We'll also be talking with her about what every leader needs to know about the importance and impact of their decisions on the long-term viability of our own health and well-being now and for future generations. Hello, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm fine. How are you two? We're great. Welcome, yeah, Trisha. Glad you're here again with me Hi, today. Hi, Crystal. Glad to be here. Co-hosting. <laughs> <laughs> so before we actually start talking with Elizabeth, I wanted to read her official bio. And some people call Elizabeth, they know her by biz, so we're gonna, we'll, you'll hear us use biz once in a while as well. So Elizabeth Levitt, she is the principal at Climate Response at Jacobs where she's a strategic advisor on the environment and sustainability. She has an education from the Wildlife Resource Management at West Virginia University. Elizabeth Levitz recently retired from the Port of Seattle um, as part of the executive team. And as I said, she's the current principal, a principal at Jacobs and has four decades of experience in organizational and environmental sustainability leadership, spearheading the development of innovative and sustainable solutions across the aviation and maritime industries. Her background of both consulting and public sector leadership gives her a deep and unique understanding of the critical balance to attain when improving sustainability and resiliency and advancing social equity in the communities in which we live and work. Her expertise helps the aviation, maritime, and transportation sectors develop and implement strategic plans to improve the environment and address the critical impacts of climate change. Her successes have been based on creating strategic plans to achieve environment and sustainability goals that are stakeholder-focused, results-driven, achievable, and regionally relevant. Since joining Jacobs, Elizabeth has assisted Pittsburgh International Airport in the development of environmental social government strategy and report. In addition, she is working with United Airlines to revise their commercial real estate standards to include United's ambitious sustainability goals. We cannot say that she is not (laughs) a wise woman. (laughs) No. With such deep expertise, Elizabeth, I just want to say thank you for being here with us today. We really appreciate your time. It was so interesting to know that you retired from the port, and then um, we just were talking with you, and she said, my calling is still alive. I still want to help save the planet around these environmental issues that we have. And so I'm really excited to spend this time talking with you. 
But I also wanted to say, put a little personal note here, I got to work with Elizabeth for many years at the Port of Seattle. And so I got to see her grow through the organization, you know, from more of an entry level sort of project management type person all the way to being a part of the executive team. And I have to say, I cheered pretty loudly when they named you on that executive team for two reasons. One, you are an outstanding leader. You have such passion around these issues, but you are also an incredible model for other, all leaders, but especially women, because I really believe that you show what a strong, confident, ethical leader is all about. And I'm just, I have just so much admiration for you. So I just wanted to tell you that, but also because it was such a, a really important thing at the Port of Seattle when they created an environmental and sustainability position as part of the executive team. So that was a really important moment for the port. And then when you were named to that position, that w- it was just even better. So I welcome to the podcast, and we are so grateful that you are with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so I, I just want to add my two cents here. I didn't get to know your or really know of you that much until the last few years of your tenure there, because I've only been with the port for you know a few years. But um, I was so encouraged to hear that we even had that. I've been in other businesses that did not have anything like that, and so this was that was pretty exciting. And to Crystal's point, the fact that you are a very strong woman leader is means a lot to me. You know, we're in a time in our lives where that's just a critical element. We need to start, you know, highlighting those strong women leaders. You're one, and um, and make sure that our world sees that women are the key to a lot of the the solutions in our world. And I do believe that. Um, I think that I am not alone in that belief. And so I'm hoping that our listeners are hearing this with that ear in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, anything that you would want to say before we dive into our questions? Uh, just to thank you for having me today. And um, it's one of the hardest things for me to do in life is to talk about myself. Mm-hmm. So you'll have to excuse me if I, <laughs> I'm a little bit awkward from time to time, but I love to talk about what I do. It's much harder for me to talk about myself. So. <laughs> Well, we'll try and versus myself. Yeah. Yeah. We'll try and hold that up for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes. So our first question is just that general question about tell us your story. What kind of brought you to the today? That's a really good question. So, you know, I guess I'd go back to my childhood and high school where I just always had this great interest in the environment, whether it was birds or trees or canoeing or, or whatever. And I um, was really fortunate to have attended a public high school in Maryland where they had a really stellar science department. So I got to take classes in science in high school that most people really didn't get to delve into until they were in college. And it really kind of you know, set me on the path that I wanted to do something around the environment. And when you hear my story, you'll realize it took me a little while to figure out exactly what it was that not only I wanted to do, but I was good at. So my, my career story is definitely not a straight line. In fact, it's a, it's a very wobbly line. So um, after college, 
I graduated with a bachelor's degree in wildlife resource management, and I thought I was going to be a wildlife biologist, you know, going out there saving wildlife species and was fortunate enough to have gotten a, a one-year internship sort of job with um, through the Young Adult Conservation Corps with the U.S. Mm-hmm. Forest Service doing wildlife research with a group of men who were really prominent in their field. So we we would go out and we would walk around in the woods and collect all kinds of data, which I loved. And then when winter hit, we'd come back to the office and do data entry and statistics, which I sucked at. <laughs> <laughs> I made mistakes. And so, you know, through the course of that job, I sort of realized, I don't really know that you want to be a wildlife biologist. Mm-hmm. and You're not really going to save the world the way you want to that way. Um, so from there, I went on to be a water pollution control inspector, um, mm-hmm. and I had the authority to uh, fine people who were violating the Water Pollution Control Act. I could haul them into court. I could do whatever I wanted to do based on, or what, whatever was appropriate based on um, what was happening at their facility. So I would go out and actually test the wastewater that was being discharged. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, an incredible job. I learned so much about manufacturing and coal mining and sewage treatment. And, um, but I really wasn't a very good regulator. Mm-hmm. It was a tough time economically. And it's really hard to find people when their businesses are, you know, mm-hmm. on the edge. Mm-hmm. So I found myself working more cooperatively with the, the people who, who I was inspecting to try mm-hmm. to meet our mutual ends. Oh. And rather than writing up writing them a ticket and hauling them into court and i think while i ended up deciding that my strength wasn't as a regulator i learned a lot about working with people with diverse interests towards a common goal through that experience um so from there um i got into some environmental consulting for a couple of years i cleaned up some uh, hazardous waste sites mostly in california um and then I had my first child and I realized being in a, being a consultant where mm-hmm. you could, have, you know, might have to go anywhere tomorrow and being a mom were, really just weren't compatible for me. So I um, ended up with a job at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena where I was their environmental manager. And it was really there that I kind of found my home. I found mm-hmm. my niche. You know, mm-hmm. what I realized was I liked being responsible for a facility or a piece of land and you know it was my job to make sure that we complied so -hmm. that when the inspectors came in to look at us i could you know provide the the data and the assurances that i need to that we were doing the right thing environmentally um so it was a fascinating job and there's no better place to work than a place where when i was there the the first photographs of neptune came Mm. back when when the spacecraft voyager encounter neptune so to be in that kind of environment was was just exhilarating and Mm. thrilling and um ultimately uh we moved from uh pasadena california up to seattle to um to raise a family and and take on new jobs and that was where i came to work with the port of seattle Mm. um so when i was first hired they wanted me to run around port property, which is, you know, thousands and thousands of acres and find underground storage tanks where, you know, underground mm. gas tanks. Um, and pretty soon into my venture running around looking for tanks, 
um, we had the first big contaminated site find at the airport. And so my gig for a while for the port was cleaning up contaminated sites so that we could then redevelop them either for, you know, concourses at the airport or for container terminals downtown on the maritime side. Um, and really enjoyed that work. I, I, um, some of the things you'll hear about in a little while really, uh, th that helped me grow were really, um, really hammered in in that experience because here was some young environmental person thrust into the middle of an engineering team and a construction team and so I had to find my voice I had to help them succeed because if they didn't succeed I wasn't going to succeed yeah. um, so anyway it was a, a definitely an environment that was new to me but that really helped me grow um, and then I went out to the airport to um, help get the the permits to build the third runway at SeaTac Airport, which was highly was controversial huge. and took decades. Yeah. And, yeah. Lots of lawsuits, um, all of which we we prevailed on. Um, and in the course of doing that, once we got the permits for the airport, um, the airport director at the time and I sort of stepped back and said, you know, we've got to do more at the port. It can't just be about basic environmental compliance. We've got to embrace sustainability and we, we need to have goals, you know, so that we can, we can um, figure out what's relevant to us, what's relevant to our community who, you know, without a doubt is impacted by the airport's operations. So we set about um, developing the first environmental strategic plan at the port specific to SeaTac airport. Um, uh, that really allowed us to really focus on where were our impacts and what could we do yes. about them. Um, and also got us into a position where we needed to build a team that we didn't have, you know, kind of the beyond compliance team. So bringing on people who understood sustainable building design, climate change, air quality, you know, some of the, the, the later evolving parts of the environmental business. Um, and um, really, really built a very strong team. Um, we have ultimately achieved some of the goals that we set out. For 2030, we achieved them uh, 10 years early because mm -hmm. they were smart cool. and, and they were empowered and um, they had the right kind of supports to be able to succeed on their mission. Um, and then after a little while, the port decided to create that center of expertise, Crystal, that you were talking about earlier, where we brought all of the um, environment sustainability teams across the port together so that we could develop a port-wide environmental strategy and, and actually set goals uh, with the port. And a, a lot of uh, our ability to do that was based on the Port of Seattle Commission, who is strongly in, in, you know, embedded in their environmental ethic. Yeah. Um, so I was really fortunate to be able to work in an organization that valued the work that we did and saw it as important as they balanced the port's mission with the community and, and, and other aspects mm -hmm. of society. Um, so it was real fun to, to, for a while, sit into this, this broader role. Um, and it was a really an honor to, to be able to sit at the executive table with a voice that was not only a woman's voice, but a voice that was for the environment. And that had not really happened heretofore at the port. Um, and then uh, in 2020, um, I was ready to retire and COVID hit. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And here I've been at this organization for 30 years and was ready to go. And we ended up with a hiring freeze because of the impacts of COVID on the port's business and our revenue. And I just couldn't leave an organization that I had been devoted to yeah. for, mm-hmm. for, yeah. for 31, 30 years at that point in the middle of a pandemic. So, um, and I couldn't leave my team in yeah. the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So uh, decided I was going to stick around for a little while longer. So basically stayed around for another year and then in 2021 retired. And I had a lovely retirement. I was traveling. I was taking care of projects. I was <laughs> reading books and doing all those things that people that don't have jobs do. And um, winter came and I was, <laughs> I was going stir crazy and I was getting bored and I'd find myself asking myself the question, there's got to be more to life than this. And, yeah. and, and at the same time, I'm sufficiently concerned about climate change and the impact climate change is going to have on our world and my grandson's world. Um, so just decided I'm not done yet. I've still got more to do. And so I have recently joined Jacobs, a multinational um, engineering firm, and am really focused on climate response and strategic advisory around stuff like sustainability goal setting, environmental social governance reporting, um, sustainable aviation fuels and hydrogen. Um, So it's been a really neat opportunity to be able to work with other clients around the globe to do some of what I've done at the port in, in, in terms of their, their work. Wow. Well, just look at that time you you were retired as your resting period between. (laughs) But wow. Wow. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're back in the the mix because you do important work. And right now, especially, I think, with all of the challenges that are going on in the United States alone with, um, you know, our environmental or our look at – at the environment and the future of global warming and stuff. We've got, we've got a lot of challenges ahead of us. So it's going to be important for people like you to be, you know, have a voice in our, anywhere you can be there, but hopefully at a government table at some point to, you know, have them open their ears and their eyes a little bit. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a little bit of an, a, <laughs> an opinion <Yeah>. there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was thinking it actually goes a little bit to our engagement discussions we've had in some of the episodes, the prior episodes around making sure that people, how do we engage people and how do we, how do we make sure that they're able to contribute at the best that they can be? And, you know, you're such a great example of an opportunity to actually live out your passion, continue to live out your passion. That's what engages you. And so you had this opportunity to do that and the world needs you. They need all that experience that you have. And not that you didn't, we're going to talk a little bit about this in a minute, about your global impact, but you're continuing to have, and probably even more, a global impact helping other organizations beyond the Port of Seattle. So you're actually taking all this experience and knowledge and wisdom and expanding your what you, sort of what you touch and how you make change in the world. And gosh, we're lucky for it. Yeah, we are. And I, and I think to your point about engagement, you know, the fact that you are able to communicate and articulate your your point of view so well, it does engage other people. People do listen to what you say. And so it's a, it's an important thing. I think it's very important that you are where you are right now. So I hope you continue to love it because mm-hmm. that is, um, I think that you have a lot to do with our, our future. So with that, I'm going to ask you your next question. 
And as you look back over your career in environmental and sustainability, you know, what are your biggest shifts you have seen in this industry that concern you? And then what are the shifts that bring you some hope? They're really good questions. So um, I'll focus more time on hope than I will on what concerns me. But I, I, I have always understood that to, in order to get environmental work done, you've got to have money to do it. So the balance of economics and environment is embedded in all the decisions I make and, and you know, the way we set strategy. But I'm concerned that we're at a point in, in the world right now where if we continue to let economics drive where we do and do not take on the next environmental challenge, and I'm mostly thinking about climate change, that we're going to leave the world in a, in a bad place where the economics, the economic impacts of not addressing climate change are going to be massive. Yeah. Not, you know, not only the physical impacts, but the cost of, of trying to fix the problems that are, mm-hmm. will be created and are, we're already starting to see for climate change. So I think um, my concern is that we have to now put environment equal to or maybe even slightly ahead of the economy. Um, and in, in that same, same realm, that's really where I have hope because I think that people are starting to see the impact that climate change is having on their life. And they are starting to say, we've got to do something. I mean, I look around the world and we have corporations everywhere that have set really ambitious climate goals and they're not doing it because the government's telling them to do it. They're doing it because there's been a gap in what the government wants us to do. So I have so much hope that while we're not able to have a federal approach in the U.S. to climate change. We've got states and cities and, and corporations out there who have decided that it's part of their core value and um, are proceeding with work, even though they're not, it's not a requirement. And so I'm really hopeful that we've gotten to the point where people are starting to see the importance of addressing the climate, addressing environment, um, and that it too has become embedded in their their social value their corporate value to the world so I'm, I'm i guess i'm more hopeful than i am pessimistic now yeah and well, that's really really important and i was thinking how we see that also in the generations you know i, I think everybody cares about it doesn't it's not ne- generational necessarily but this younger generation is just like how they live yes. so it, you know, because they haven't known anything other than that this is an important issue. Mm-hmm. So it's just amazing all the things that they're doing out there um, to to make it better and just how they're living their lives with less impact. And I think that they're actually standing or sitting back a little bit when they see what the rest of us are doing, you know, and we're trying, but we're not quite there. It, it just is embedded in the way they think. It's their DNA almost these days about, you know, they, they've always grown up in, a, in an environment where the environment was um, in jeopardy. And so they just learn to do things differently. And, you know, recycling is what it is, or, you know, not, not buying certain kind of clothes or not, you know, not supporting businesses that pollute and it's not something that they get on a bandwagon and try to do it's just a part of the way they they think and they've been learning it in school since the beginning so for them they've got the advantage there 
we just have to tap into that, you know, that um, commitment, you know, because that's what it is. You know, for us, it was something else, but for them and for us, this is a, this is a task because mm-hmm. we have to learn it. You know, it's like learning a new habit. It's yeah. difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So there's hope. And I love that you're saying that, yeah. that there's hope. <laughs> so this, this goes kind of um, to our core here of the podcast around how do we help develop leaders to be able to make positive impact in the world. So you've spent an entire career elevating the importance of environmental concerns to business. So now both um, internally as part of the executive team and throughout at the Port of Seattle and now externally as a consultant and having impact across the world. What did you learn about how to effectively influence other leaders to see that these issues were critical to the success of not only the organization, but the community in the region? You know, I think it's all about partnerships. Um, You know, I was really fortunate at the port that a lot of the great environmental strides we were able to make came along with capital projects, um, whether it was cleaning up contaminated contaminated sites or um, uh, finding ways to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and and improve air quality. A lot of that ability came through how we implemented capital programs or how we we went about completing our projects at the port. so it really required a partnership, you know, for for the team to succeed, we had to deliver on the environmental commitments that the port had laid out. So for me, it's, it's a lot about one-on-one conversations with people. And I certainly met lots of people along the way who didn't really want to do what I wanted to do or didn't necessarily think they should do something that cost that much. And, you know, we could just value engineer that out of the project. And I had to find a way to talk to people one-on-one, develop a partnership so that we would succeed together. Um, and rather than me trying to independently, you know, continue to beat people about the head and, <laughs> the head and, the head and shoulders to get them to do the work. And um, I think part of that is really um, cooperating with each other. And, you know, that meant I had to understand why implementing what I wanted to do environmentally was challenge, challenging to them in their project. And that's really where the, where the wide open mm-hmm. space was so that we could figure out a way to meet the project manager's needs or figure out a way to build something while doing it in a way that environmentally made sense. So it's, you know, it's about cooperation and partnership and understanding challenges and then coming together around a shared pathway that everybody was accountable to and committed to, and then moving forward to success. And, um, you know, I mentioned the port commission earlier, I'll mention them again. It really helped me that the executives at the port and the port commission had this as a core value Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, if anybody resisted too much, and I'm not saying people did, but if they did, it was, you know, a reminder that you're working for an organization that, that holds this at its core. And therefore, when you're at work, you need to do the same thing. You know, that, that makes me think about, you know, we talk about leadership qualities and leadership skills and the things that are really going to be necessary as we move into the future. And it's, it's what you're talking about that, you know, being able to almost negotiate or get, you know, do that partnership, um, 
align your goals and try and show how it's beneficial for us, but here's where it's beneficial for you. And we, you know, collectively coming to, um, you know, closure on ideas and things. I think that is exactly what we, we've been talking to our leaders about for a long time. And it's, it takes practice. It's not something that is a skill you read about in a book. It is something that, you know, through trial and error, you find out what works and what doesn't. But that's very, that is a big strength of yours. And I think that was a great thing for people to be able to see as a point of reference. Yeah. yeah and I think to your trial and error um, comment, you know, the way we approach a challenge, you know, the way we personally present in situations like that, that's a trial and error learning experience too. And, I'm sure there were times when my approach could have been far more delicate than it wasn't. And, but, you know, I learned as I went that, you know, with, with individual people, how I could best partner with them. So mm-hmm. I try, try constantly to meet people where they are because that's the only way I'm going to get them to move in the direction that I want to move in. I think, and I think you really achieved that too, and your teams did as well. So, you know, it's one of the things that sometimes with teams that are having to try and influence like yours do when it's, it may be seen out sort of out of the gate as adversarial versus collaborative. Um, I never heard people talk about the environment group as adversarial, that it was, it was always a collaborative partnership effort. And that does come as an expectation from the leader and and the tone that you set. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think you were really successful there. Oh, thank you. I know that I had teams of experts that were largely responsible for my success because I couldn't do what I needed to do without, you know, experts in 10 or 12 or 15 different areas and being, being able to have people who were willing to take risks and had a leader that allowed them to take risks and fail. And, you know, uh, we wouldn't have gotten anything done without their expertise and their, their passion and their, their willingness to take a risk with me yeah. and know that I would be there with them if, if we failed. Yeah. Yeah. And then you would try again. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's the process, right? Like, oh, over, we got to get over and over again. Get back so up get again. It right. <laughs> try again. <laughs> yeah. Great. So you also served as a chair of an environmental committee for Airport Council International World and U.S. Um, from a global perspective, what trends are you seeing? Over the past five years, I think I've seen two trends. One that we've already sort of touched on, which is focus on climate change. Uh, so airports around the world, ports around the world are really focused on what their impact, what their greenhouse gas emission inventory looks like and how they can go about reducing emissions through alternative energy sources, whether that's solar or wind, on-site or off-site, um, you know, through creative things like buying landfill gas to run buses at an airport rather than natural gas to run buses at an airport. Um, so I'm really heartened that around the globe, air, airports and ports everywhere are really focused on climate now. Uh, so not only trying to reduce their emissions, but try to understand what are the physical impacts that my airport or my port is likely going to experience because of the changes that the climate is going to experience. Um, and you know, assessing their facilities and then figuring out how to 
harden them or in some cases nature-based solutions to soften them so that we'll be more resilient as we move into the future. So climate and resilience really are going hand in hand now. Um, and it's not just about physical resilience. It's about economic resilience and business resilience. Um, again, another one of those themes where environment and climate gets mixed with, with operating a facility and, and, you know, being resilient into the future. Um, but the other place that I really have seen a big shift, in, especially in the last couple of years, is really on equity and social justice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how can we how can we return the benefits, um, economic and job and otherwise, of living near uh, an airport or a port facility to the community that's there and mm -hmm. help them um, help them live and thrive and find ways to have businesses that that assist with us and, and to have a voice with, with port commissioners and other elected leaders. Um, so, you know, it's, equity and social justice is, I think, the next environmental movement. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, not to say that it's in its infancy, but it's, it's, really, it's really taken off. And as I watch some of their challenges, uh, getting equity and social justice integrated into the business ethos, I'm reminded of the way it was for me back in the day when we start, first started trying to get environment environment in, integrated. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's it's like everything kind of came it, it isn't like it came to a head at this point, but it sort of feels that way right now because everything is right at the surface, right? And so um I love that you you were talking about the future of equity and social justice, because I think that people are really looking at that right now, and they're not quite sure what the future looks like. They're they're um, experimenting and trial and erroring, if you want. So it's um, very it's very interesting, and I think that it's probably at least what I'm hearing you say is it may be taking that to see some of the environmental stuff that we really want to see move forward. It's going to take the social justice and um, equity to get there. There are so many people that are not even being considered in the mix, and they really should be. Yeah, I think there's the so many yet. intersections between social justice and environmental. I mean, it's that's that's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the populations that are most impacted by some of the environmental things also are dealing with uh, the social justice issues. Yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, yep, a lot of intersections there. We could do a whole podcast on that one for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I've got the next question. You are a woman leader who has broken down a lot of barriers during your career while also balancing work and family. What advice do you have to women coming up in the workforce now in being successful both in your work and life? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> you know, I, I think first of all is be human and be a woman. Yeah. You know, I started my career in the eighties and I don't know if you remember that day, but you know, women professionals were wearing women's suits that looked just like a man's suit and mm -hmm. putting on those stupid little ties. And I hated it. You know, I would show up at work and feel like I was not authentically me. Um, and when I finally worked at a place where I didn't have to do that anymore, 
I felt like I could be both a woman and a human and a professional yeah. in my job. Um, so, you know, I think be yourself, show up and know what your strengths and your weaknesses are and yeah. admit your weaknesses yeah. and seek out people who can help you with your weaknesses. And I'll give just a quick side story. When I was first started inspecting coal mines, um, these guys would talk about all these pieces of equipment. I had no clue what they were talking about. So I finally approached a surface mine operator and I said, would you help me? Could you tell me what a backhoe is and what a front end loader is and what a this is and a that is? And, you know, he spent an hour and a half with me and he showed me all this equipment. And I learned so much just by admitting what I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I probably could have gone on faking it for years, <laughs> but it didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I think, you know, admitting what you don't know and admitting what your weaknesses are and seeking out people who can help you with that is really important for anybody. But I think today it's really important for women because as we all know, women tend to underestimate or under report the skills that they have. So yeah. as women, we need to help hold up other women and, and recognize their, their strengths and help them to, to build them, to, to build them even, even more. Um, you know, also it's like speak up and own what you know. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in a meeting and you've got an opinion, don't wait around till somebody calls on you, you know, speak up. That's, that's your area of expertise. That's what people are looking for you to come to the table ready to speak to. Um, and I think women need to do that more because the men around the table have been doing it for decades and the women around the table need to do more and more of it now. Um, and, and get a mentor. I can't mm -hmm. tell you Love how that. many times in my career an older woman would reach out to me and say, let's talk. Yeah. I, th I think you have strengths that you may not even recognize that you have and I want to talk to you about them. And I was really fortunate in my career to have two or three or four women who really pulled me aside and said, I want to help you grow your strengths and, and, and you know, and become a, a more executive person. Um, so mentorships are so important um, and they don't have to be formal. Yeah. You know, it could be, you know, I had somebody the other day come and ask me a question and we started doing some mentoring work together and, um, so I think just, you know, be open and honest with yourself, be a woman, um, you know, we're the ones that are trying to balance work and family life more than anybody else out there. And I remember once getting advice that I shouldn't put any pictures of my children in the office because then people were going to, you know, not think I was, I was whatever professional enough. And I, I just remember kind of rolling my eyes like that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I'm a mother. Me going home to my children is part of who I am. And yeah. You know, if that doesn't work for somebody, then I'm not in the right organization. Yeah. Um, so and luckily I was at a place that did value me enough and valued, valued work family that, that I was able to, for the most part, not always, um, you know, keep that as balanced as I could. So yeah. I think women have a lot to offer. Um, we are very good at combining the personal and the business. And I think if you forget about the personal, you forget about the relationships, we're not, people aren't going to get anything done. And so I, I really, it's fun to watch women around the table as they, you know, use both half, 
both halves of their brain yeah. in, in problem solving. Um, so yeah. And creating was, those relationships as you were saying, yeah, yep, that will support yep. that being able to get stuff done mm-hmm. uh, in the business. It's like growing their courage too. You know, there's that women may be reluctant because they don't think anybody will hear or listen and it's getting brave enough to just step up and and talk to your point just you know speak up it's a good it's a that's yeah, a really and I, good point i think things have changed a lot over mm-hmm. the last 40 years in my career and I, I think over the last 10 years we really are starting to see more and more women in leadership whether it's environment or engineering or other largely male dominated fields and you know, um, in my work at Jacobs, there are so many passionate and professional women who really own their area of expertise mm-hmm. and are able to apply that. And, you know, same at the Port of Seattle. We had some incredible women leaders and some incredible women middle managers who were making stuff happen Yeah. Um, and succeeding and doing it without the need for a bunch of flattery or or. Yeah praise you know it's just part of what they do yeah Mm, so important so Biz, what are you really excited about going forward i i touched on this earlier but i'm I'm really excited about the fact that i think corporations and some parts of the of the country really get the challenge that we're facing right now and that they're they're moving forward to do good work without being told that they have to do it by the government. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that we're going to start seeing a lot of change that's really coming from the private sector more than it is necessarily from the government sector. Um, and of course they go hand in hand. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm certainly excited about personal stuff like spending time with my grandson and, mm-hmm. and traveling and, um, doing more for myself you know, as, as I get more and more time for myself, but there is so much going on there around the, going on around the globe when it comes to climate change, you know, I'm just excited about having, having an opportunity to lend the experience that I've had, my successes, my failures to others to help them achieve their environmental goals. And, you know, I'm excited about helping people set new goals, helping them figure out really uh, ways to deliver that don't get overly complicated. And um, I, I do, I think I have a lot of hope right now that people understand that if we don't, we don't stop and think about the environment and think about the climate, it's going to be a, a, a very difficult environment for people to live in. Mm-hmm. And so now's the time to take action. We still have time to turn this around. And I think we've got a lot of people with their heart and their head and their money that are starting to invest in the right places to help us do that. So I've, I've always been hopeful. I, I try not to be a pessimist for, for very long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I certainly have my moments. Um, so I just, I, I think that, I think that we're on a good path. And as we talked about earlier, I think the fact that we're starting to think about and doing more around equity and social justice while we're doing this important environmental work is going to, provide opportunities to lift up so many communities, so many young people uh, into yeah. careers that didn't exist when mm-hmm. I started. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, this, this whole business of climate change 
Yeah, Al Gore, Al Gore had used the word a couple of times, but there was no place you could go to school and study it. Yeah. Um, so I, I really, I'm, I'm heartened about our ability to change the climate, and I'm really heartened about engaging so many, so much a broader sector of society as we do that. Mm. <laughs> Very rich. Thank, yeah. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's been, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. You've, you've inspired me. Um, And I know you've inspired our listeners and we really, really appreciate you spending time here. And I have to say also, this is from my coaching hat, I guess I'm here listening and I'm thinking, I feel your energy, even though we're through Zoom, right? I'm feeling your energy and your passion. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy that you're able to still, you know, carry forward on that mission, even for who knows how many years, but Jacobs, I think, got it right. And they, they called you back and said, we want you to do more and help out more people. And, and the world is better for it. So so thank you for doing that work. I believe that too, Biz. I think that, sorry, Elizabeth. <laughs> I think that... Okay. Um, I think that the the people that you serve now, your clients basically, they are getting quite a gift. There aren't very many people who have the kind of experience you have. And so, you know, I think that this is going to you are actually the probably a, a huge asset for for Jacobs and certainly for their client base. So, congratulations on that. I think it's wonderful and congratulations to your clients for having you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank thank you. Yeah. All right. So thanks again, Elizabeth. And and thanks to our listeners for listening. Thank you. That was just absolutely exciting. I was really glad to hear um, what Elizabeth was talking about. And, you know, I think that for me, I've just got all these ideas pinging in my head right now. So what about you? I know I learned so much from her and I I loved working with her at the Port of Seattle. She always inspired me there. And uh, I can't believe it's been a whole year since I've seen her. And so that was really fun to hear from her again. And I really did enjoy, again, learning from her today. That was really fantastic. Oh, well, so let's keep that conversation going. If you have questions or comments about the show, you can find us on all our social media channels at lifting underscore leaders. There's so many exceptional podcasts coming up, more with fantastic guests like Biz. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you know somebody who you think might find this episode inspiring, share it with them. In fact, share it with everybody you know. I think that, you know, we're at a point that we've got some great information out there and people can go back and listen to 16 episodes of of this podcast and they might get some great information so tell your friends about it text them email them and take a screenshot and share it with anybody you know on um, your instagram or tag us at lifting underscore leaders if you'd like to know more about us our guests or the show please go to our website at liftingleaderspodcast.com. You'll find show notes there as well. If you're looking for help in developing your leaders or would like a growth opportunity for yourself through leadership coaching or facilitation of any kind of training program or leadership development, please contact us through our website at www.liftingleaderspodcast.com. We want to thank Ari Chance Roberts for his technical support and ongoing support of everything podcast on our show. And lastly, please subscribe to our podcast. It is free. 
I want to thank you, Crystal, for this great opportunity to talk to Elizabeth Levitt today and for the interaction that we had. Thank you, Tricia. Thanks for co-hosting with me. Thank you. And we want to thank the audience for listening as well. Please find ways every single day to lift each other up. See ya. Bye.